Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we go to the message this morning. Father, You are so wonderful. Father, You have wonderfully made us in Your image. You have created us with a desire deep within our heart to worship You. And Father, our hearts were dead and calloused as stones. But through Christ and His righteousness, Lord, You made our hearts alive. You, Lord, have taken us from darkness into light. From a life that was dead to a life now walking with vibrance. An abundant life because Christ lives within us. Father, Lord, we pause now to pray for those that are not here because of sick, Lord, illnesses, Lord, emergencies, and difficulties. Lord, we lift them up to you this morning. And Lord, for those that are in the sound, the nearness of the sound of my voice, Lord, we pray this morning that You would open our minds and open our hearts and open our ears to the message this morning. Lord, as we've had opportunity this week, since Wednesday, to look at the passage of Scripture, it is clear that You want to speak to us this morning through Your Word on being a servant. So, Father, Lord, I pray that, that Your wood, Word will be illuminated, that it would be preached in a way, Lord, that glorifies You and exalts You and draws ourselves unto You, Father. Lord, help our unbelief this morning to hear Your Word and to be obedient. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This morning, uh, we're, we're kind of just stepping away from Philippians. And, and even though this is a standalone sermon, this sermon ties in and, and is a precursor to Philippians chapter 2 next week. So even though it is a standalone sermon... It will tie in with Ryan's message next week uh, from chapter 2 of Philippians. So uh, we, we tried to make it where it just ties in together there beautifully and wonderfully for our, our, our members here and visitors so that it makes it understandable to us. And I believe our Lord does that for a reason uh, with His Word uh, because he, he wants us to learn something. He wants us to see His truth in a mighty way. So, in the church of Jesus Christ, I want to ask you this question. In the church of Jesus Christ, have we replaced humility and servant-mindedness with selfism? Let that sink in for a minute. Have we replaced humility and servant-mindedness with selfism. Selfism is the concentration on one's own interests, self-centeredness, or self-absorption. And as I was looking for an introduction here, you, you know, I, I, I could only go to the Master. And, and John MacArthur, in his message uh, entitled... Humility of love on John chapter 13. And he introduces his message this way. We live in a very proud and egotistical generation. It is now considered acceptable and even normal for people to pro promote themselves, to praise themselves, and to put themselves first. Pride is considered a virtue by many. 
Humility, on the other hand, is considered a weakness. Everyone, it seems, is screaming for his or her own rights and seeking to be recognized as someone important. The preoccupation with self-esteem, self-love, and self-glory is destroying the very foundations upon which our society was built. No culture can survive pride run rampant, for all of society depends on relationships. When all people are committed first of all to themselves, relationships disintegrate. And that is just what is happening as friendships, marriages, and families fall apart. Sadly, the preoccupation with self has found its way into the church. Perhaps the fastest growing phenomenon in modern Christianity is the emphasis on pride, self-esteem, self-image, self-fulfillment, and other manifestations of selfism. Out of it emerging is a new religion of self-centeredness, pride, even arrogance. Voices from every part of the theological spectrum call us to join the self-esteem cult. Scripture is clear, however, that selfism has no place in Christianity, Christian theology. Jesus repeatedly taught against pride and with His life and teaching, He constantly exalted the virtue of humility. Nowhere is that more clear than in John 13. Take your Bibles and let's read John 13 this morning. Very profound words from John MacArthur. The title of the message this morning is The Humble Servant King. And we are going to look at the true humble servant. Starting with verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour had come to depart out of the world, to the Father, having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray Him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things unto His hands, and that He had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside His outer garments, and taking a towel, He tied it around His waist. Then He poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around Him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash, except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That's why, that was why he said, Not, of, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you, are also, you also should do as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. 
Jesus' ministry has now come to an end. He has been with the disciples. He has been ministering as, as you read up to John to this point. And then chapters 13 through 17, what we're going to see is now it, it, it is time for Him to go to the cross. And, and it's, it's like the, decor, the discourse that Jesus is explaining here. It is the last time that He is going to spend time with the disciples. And if we remember that the beginning of the Passover week, Jesus was riding into Jerusalem and on, a, on a donkey. And the people, as they met Him, as they went out to, to meet Him, they were praying, saying, Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. It was that triumphant entry into Jerusalem. But in a short few days, Jesus is going to the cross and He is going to die as the sacrificial lamb. The one and only sacrificial lamb. So John starts off chapter 13 by giving us a few important details before he starts to describe what's taking place in the upper room. Scripture again says, Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, having loved His own, who were in the world, He loved them to the end. And so we see that it is Passover. And this is one of the first of three great festivals for the Israelites. You know, it referred to the sacrifice of a lamb in Egypt when the people of Israel were slaves they would smear the blood of the sacrificial lamb on their doorpost as a signal to God that He should pass over them, pass over their houses when He destroyed all the firstborn of Egypt. So that's what has taken place. It's that time of season. The festival is here. The Passover meal is now. And a few things I want to say also in this beginning passage it's like the banner. It is like the one few verses that just stand out because it brings coherence to all the other verses that come into play as, as John described it. We see that Jesus knew that His hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. His hour has come. As you read in John, as you start looking through John, you know, it seemed like the Pharisees and Sadducees were always trying to capture him, always trying to take him into captive to destroy him. But he would always slip away. It, his time had not come. But now we see that John writes that Jesus knew that his hour had come. What hour? What hour has come? His hour has come for him to go to the cross. He knew that. It was time for him. To take His cross and bear it. We also see Jesus loved His own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. Jesus loved the disciples. And He loved them to an end. We also see that Jesus knew that that the devil put into Judas Iscariot's heart to betray him. You know, when I was reading and studying this right here, it was just one of those, one of those facts that just kind of jumped out and go, why, why is that there? But it's there. And Jesus knew this. He knew that one of the twelve would betray him. Jesus knew that his father had given him all things into his hand. The Father had given Jesus all authority, all power. He had given Him all things. And then Jesus knew He had come from God and was going back to God. Wow. Jesus knew this. He knew His hour had come. He knew one of them would betray Him. He knew He was going back to the Father to be in the presence 
of His Father, once again, that relationship that had been separated is now coming to a climax and He will go back to the Father. What a beautiful picture John paints for us. But now we get into the upper room. Now we get into what's taken place. We, we, we look at it as an event. We look at it as a, as, as a narrative of what's taken place in the upper room. We see that as if you were to walk in the room, as you were to, to, to step into this room, as, as you would come and, and as you would open the door and, and, and look into the room, you would probably see several oil lamps. They would be burning, not brightly, but, but to a, a, a crisp light flickering. And what you would see on the walls of that room is you would see the shadows of men that the light is reflecting upon the walls. And as you proceeded into the room, you would notice that there would be a table there. There would be a table in the middle of the room, probably a short table. And upon that table there would be the roasted lamb. There would be unleavened bread. There would be bitter herbs. It's the Passover meal. It's time for the meal. Scripture says during supper. They're taking the supper. They they are proceeding in supper, the men. And so you get this picture in your mind that you see these men gathered around this table, and around that table there's several mats around that table. Twelve of them to be precise. And on those mats are twelve men. Those twelve men are reclined Upon that next to that table there, you see Jesus. We see Simon Peter. We see Andrew. We see James. We see John. We see Philip. We see Bartholomew. We see Thomas. We see Matthew. We see James, son of Alphaeus, Theodosius, Simon, and Judas Iscariot all around the table. That's the scene. That's what's taking place. It's the Last Supper. And these men and Christ are gathered around that table. They are leaned up against it. They are sitting there and they are taking the unleavened bread and they're breaking it. They're taking the roasted lamb. And they're chewing on it. Maybe putting it into that bread. And and, and they're eating and they're partaking of that bread and lamb. The bitter herbs. So it got my mind to wandering. What are they thinking? What are these men thinking as they're reclined with Jesus around that table? Is it just another meal to them? Is it just another time for them to satisfy their hungry heart, their stomach, excuse me? Were the disciples thinking, were they still disputing about who would be great among themselves? You see, Luke 22 and 24 says that they were disputing among themselves who would be great in the kingdom. And here these men are sitting around watching each other. Simon's looking over at John and going, I'm greater than you. I'm better than you, John, Matthew, Mark, Thomas, Andrew, and vice versa. Was Jesus thinking about His hour? that had come and He was going back to the Father, as Jesus was sitting there reclined with the disciples, was He thinking, I'm ready to go. My hour has come and I'm still messing with these knuckleheads. Was Jesus thinking that? 
I don't think so. Was Jesus thinking about how Judas was going to betray him? He's looking into Jesus' eyes. Judas might have been sitting right across from him. And he's looking in Judas' eyes and he's saying, Judas, you are going to betray me. Do what you must. Was he thinking that? But the Scripture tells us that for Jesus, the disciples were on His mind. How much He loved them. How much He loved them. And how He was going to show them to love others. First verse told us that He loved them to the end. He loves His disciples. He's fixing to leave His disciples. The ones whom He loved. He's fixing to part. And His mind was on them to teach them an important lesson. To teach them about servanthood. That that is what's foremost on His mind. And so, we see... Jesus and the men gathered around the room. Scripture also goes on and says that they rose from supper. Jesus rose from supper. As Jesus was reclined at the table, He got up. And the Scripture says that He took off His outer garment. He took off His outer garment and... I'm assuming that he took his outer garment and laid it to where he was reclined on the mat. And the scripture says that as, as, as he did that, he took a towel. He's taken a towel and he tied it around his waist. I would assume that this towel was pretty long, not like our normal towels that we have, because I have one that I definitely can't get around my waist. Okay? Jesus has this long towel and He wraps it around Himself and He tightens it up. There's probably about this much hanging there. And so now Jesus rose from the table. Now don't you think that got the disciples curious? Don't you think Simon's going, I wonder what he's doing now. Yeah. All the others were going, Simon, what's going on? What, what, what's Jesus doing? Why did he take his outer garment and now he's putting on this towel? What, what are you doing? What's going on? What's taking place? But we see that Jesus then taking the basin of water the pitcher of water, and he takes a basin, a bowl of some type, and he takes that water and he pours it into that basin. And you could hear the water splashing into the bowl as it making that, no- that noise. And then what Jesus does is he begins to wash the disciples' feet. And He starts to wipe their feet with the towel. And so what Jesus is doing now is when He took on the towel, when Jesus wrapped that towel around Him, He took the lowly position. He was taking on the humble servant. You see, in in those days, it, it was left up or it was given to the host, that that, that they would give that responsibility to a servant, to a lowly servant. It was a a task that nobody wanted to do. Nobody wanted to do it. But here Jesus is, is, He rose from the table, He dressed Himself, and now He starts. Now He starts. 
with John. And there's the basin. And here's John's feet. And Jesus taking His hand and and picking up John's feet where the the back of his ankle, and he takes the water from the basin and he's pouring it over his feet. And he's pouring it, and he's pouring it, and he's washing his feet. And then he takes the towel that he girded around his waist. And now he's wiping it, and he's drying it. He's wiping it off. He's cleansed John's feet. And the scene that you have in your mind, that you should have, that he goes through all the disciples now, Except Peter. Except Peter. Now he comes to Peter. And isn't it just like Peter? Open mouth, insert foot. He's great at this. Throughout scripture, you just see it and you just, it's amazing, Peter. But Peter sarcastically goes, Lord, do you wash my feet? You, you notice something? Not one of the other disciples got up and washed either of the other disciples' feet. None of the disciples got up, prepared themselves, and went to Jesus and washed His feet. None of them. Could it be selfism? Pride, definitely lack of humility. And Jesus washes their feet. But Peter, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, What I'm doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And, and so now Pete, Jesus is talking to Peter, says, Peter, you don't understand what I'm doing. You won't understand. But afterwards I will. You will understand. And now this is not talking about immediately after that Jesus washes their feet and, and the end of verse 17 comes to an end and then and, and Peter goes, Aha! I understand now. No. After the cross. After Christ goes to the cross, Peter will understand. after the sacrificial lamb dies upon the cross, Peter's going to understand it. He's going to understand what Jesus was teaching him. But, just like Peter, he continues on. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. No, Jesus, not mine. Not mine. And Jesus answered him, If you do not wash, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Peter, if I don't cleanse you, if I don't wash your feet right now and you reject me, I have nothing to do with you. Nothing. Nothing. Them are powerful words. Powerful. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my feet. Peter is still don't understand and he's wanting the, the head to toe washing. He wants the full car wash, basically. The whole package, the whole body wash he wants. Well, you see, in those times there, you would go to either bathhouse or you would bathe that morning and, and you would wash your whole body. You, you would wash yourself clean, Ben. You, you, you would use the towel, the soap, the water, and you would wash and you would be cleansed. But then in your process, as you walked through the city, walked to another place, as the disciples were cleaned from their bath that morning, and as they walked into Jerusalem, as they walked to the upper room, their feet were dirty. And Jesus is bringing this to their attention. You don't need to be washed again. You were washed once. And so it brings it into the point and the, the spiritual side of it is for those who believe in Jesus Christ, we have been washed once. 
We have been cleansed once. But we still need cleansing. Our feet are filthy and we still need to wash our feet. The daily sins, the daily sins, the daily sins that we're out there in the dirt and the grime, the mud, it's getting upon us and we need to be cleansed from that. And then Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. And he's speaking about Judas Iscariot here. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not of all of you are clean. And then now we see that Jesus is going to explain to them what just happened. And when we see that after Jesus had went around the table and washed their feet, because I could see and imagine as He washed the eleven disciples, even Judas's feet, and now He come to Simon Peter and had that interaction with him, He washes Peter's feet. He again... The Scripture says, when He had washed their feet and put His outer garments, He resumed His place at the table. So He he takes the towel off. He takes His outer garment. He puts it back on. And He reclines back down at the table. And now He's on that eye-to-eye level. Now He's looking at them straight in the eye and going, do you understand what I've done to you? Peter, do you understand? John, do you understand? Mark, do you understand? Andrew, do you understand? Thomas, James, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for I am so, Jesus says. You call me Lord, and you call me teacher, and that is right. That's good knowledge. He says, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. What? Could you imagine what Peter is thinking? You mean you want me to wash John's feet? We don't see... A response from the disciples, but I could imagine Peter going, well, I don't think so. Jesus goes on and says, For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. And now Jesus has showed them. He has given them the perfect example of what it means to be a humble servant. He gives them that example. And he say, and, in, and what Jesus is saying is that I am calling you to be a servant. I am calling you to wash each other's feet. Guys, Jesus is calling them to do that. He says 16, Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. You call me Lord, but you know, Jesus says that He came to serve, to be a servant, not to be served. I've come not to serve, but to be a servant. I'm not greater than my Father, Jesus would say. I've taken on humility and washed your feet, guys. I've taken the lowly position and washed your feet. And then Jesus ends here, John ends in verses 17, our passage this morning. He says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. 
And, and so as you read in here and as you look at this, the, these last words right here, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. You see, there's a knowledge, there is an obedience, and then there is a blessing from that. It's knowing these things. He's telling His disciples, if you know these things, what I have just done for you, on how to be a servant, that is good heart knowledge. That's good understanding. And what He says here then, Blessed. Blessed are you. Blessed are you. It's that happy, joyful, gratifying blessing. But it doesn't come just because you know that. Not just because you know it and you've read it and you've understood it. What does the Scripture say there? If you do them. If you do it. If you do it. One question we must ask. One question. When I came to the end of this passage of Scripture, I'm looking at that passage of Scripture and I'm looking at it and I'm going, okay, Father, what are You wanting me to do with this passage of Scripture? What do You want me to see? Why? And the question that I've come up is, why did the Lord Jesus wash the disciples' feet? Why did He do that? He did not have to wash the disciples' feet. There was no commandment for Him to do that. There was no writing in stone that said, Jesus, You washed the disciples' feet. Peter didn't play the wash me card now. Didn't do that. Why? Well, the Scripture tells us. Let's go back to verse 1. Look down at the Scripture. Now, now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. Let me say this again. Having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. He loved them unto completion. Unto completion. To the completion of their redemption. His love them, He loved them to the point that He was willing to complete their redemption, which would cost Him His life. In other words, Jesus is going to the cross. His love has compelled Him to go to the cross for them. Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, verse 6 tells us that though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made Himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, He humbled Himself by coming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. His love has taken him to the cross. His love is to the very end. Isaiah 53. Surely he bore our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His stripes we are healed. Jesus is now going to the cross. His love is so great. It's so unique. It's so perfect. Because He is thinking about their redemption. It's not just about washing somebody's feet. It's about the cross. So here's the big ideal. Big ideal. 
Jeremy, I think I forgot to give you that. <laughs> if you're taking notes, write this. Blessed is the servant who humbles themselves. Blessed is the servant who humbles themselves and washes the feet of others. And washes the feet of others out of an unending love for them through the power of Christ. Blessed is the servant who humbles himself and washes the feet of others out of an unending love for them through the power of Christ. So what does the Lord want us to do? How are you and I to respond to this message? Just two simple things. One, cultivate a servant mindset and actively look for opportunities to serve each other. I use these words precisely. Cultivate a servant mindset. It it is that mindset, as I was looking out the window into the yard, I seen a garden there that we have. And and I seen it, and I know that in just a short little time that Tammy is going to get out there and she's going to start tilling and cultivating that land. And then she's going to plant seeds in a crop. Cultivate. It's cultivating a servant mindset. A servant's mindset. Not a self-centeredness mindset. Not a selfism mindset, but a servant mindset. And actively look for opportunities. Actively. You're actively looking for opportunities to wash others' feet. To serve others. To minister to others. Jesus said, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. There's no greater joy. There's no blessing greater than washing someone else's feet. Serving others. That's what it's about. Jesus gives that example. And so this morning, church, Redeemer, first of all, I want to affirm you, members, who are zealously and gladly serving the body of Christ here. You are faithful every single week. Every single day of the week. And especially on on Sundays. There are those of you who are actively zealous for Jesus Christ and you're serving one another from the beginning of, of the morning when the worship team gets here to practice, to the end of the day when the last one leaves and locks that door and walks away, they are zealous for Christ. And they're gladly serving you. And they're doing it joyfully. Is it difficult? Is it hard? Yes, guys. But let me encourage you to keep on Keep on serving God. Keep on serving the body of Jesus Christ. But there seems to be some members of Redeemer who know what it means to serve, but are not serving zealously and gladly. It's sad. Sat down with a good friend of mine yesterday as we were talking. Jeff and Felicia, good, great friends of mine, they're going to a church over in Avondale called Redeemer. Imagine that, huh? It's, they're, they're blowing the doors off. They don't have no room. They filled up this old sanctuary. They've gone to three services. It's filled with millennials from wall to wall. 
He's the old dude in that congregation. But he noticed one thing. They tried to bring the church together and have a meal together like we do every Sunday morning. But you know what he saw? He saw 20 and 30 year olds serving. He saw them serving in a way he just stood back and went, wow. They're not putting themselves first. They're serving. They're doing. They're washing the feet of others. And so it tells me today, let me encourage you, Redeemer family, let me encourage you. Do it. Do it. Serve. Serve. Husbands, serve your wives and children. Wives, serve your, your, your husband and your children. Children, serve your parents and siblings. Church family, our faith family, serve one another. Wash each other's feet. Not just, after, uh, not just the normal stuff that comes around. We have the opportunity to serve the Mosers. Let's take it deeper than that, folks. Let's serve. Secondly and lastly, understand that Jesus has given us a pattern and power for service. He's given us a pattern and a power. The power, excuse me, the pattern, first of all, Jesus Christ is our Lord. (coughs) He is our Lord. And He has washed our feet, showing us the pattern. Two things that I have picked up out of this passage of Scripture is one, have a heart of love for others. Have a heart of love for others. We define love as pursuing the highest good of another person. Have a heart of love, Redeemer family. Pursue the highest good of another. Secondly, have a heart of humility rather than a heart of pride. Have a heart of humility rather than pride. C.J. Mahaney in his book, Humility, he writes this, Merely being inspired by the promise of humility or the meaning of true greatness is not sufficient, nor is it enough to also be educated about the perils of pride. If there's ever to be a meaningful transformation in our lives, if we are to make progress in restraining pride and manifesting humility, there must be the purposeful application of truth, an effort and pursuit on our part that God will use for sanctifying transformation in our lives. In other words... Pursue humility and restrain pride. Have a heart of humility. And then next we see the power. Folks, we cannot and will not serve one another unless we are empowered by the continual experience of Jesus Christ's servant love to us. We'll never, never, never serve one another if we don't experience that continually servant love of Jesus Christ. We need the daily cleansing of Jesus Christ. We need the daily cleansing of the cross. 1 John 1, 9 and 10. If we confess our sins, He is just to forgive us of our sins. It is that daily going to Him and confessing our sins. 
It's that power that comes from Christ that gives us the power to serve one another. Listen to C.H. Spurgeon as he wrote this devotion on this passage of Scripture. He said, The Lord Jesus loves His people so much that every day He is still doing to them much that is analogous to washing their soiled feet, their poorest actions He accepts, their deepest sorrow He feels, their slenderest wish He hears, and their every transgression He forgives. He is still their servant as well as their friend and master. He not only performs majestic deeds for them as wearing the mire on His brow and the precise precious jewels glittering on His breastplate and standing up to plead for them, but humbly, patiently, He yet goes about among His people with the basin and the towel. He does this when He puts away from us day to day our constant infirmities and sin. Last night when you bowed your knee, you mournfully confessed that much of your conduct was not worthy of your profession. And even tonight you must mourn afresh that you have fallen again into the self-same folly and sin from which special grace delivered you long ago. And yet Jesus will have great patience with you. He will bear your confessions of sin. He will say, I will be thou clean. He will again apply the blood of sprinkling and speak peace to your conscience and remove every spot. It is a great act of eternal love when Christ once for all absolves the sinner and puts him into the family of God. But what condescending patient there is when the Savior with much long-suffering bears the often reoccurring follies of His wayward disciples. Day by day and hour by hour, washing away the the multiple transgressions of His earring but yet beloved child. To dry up a flood of rebellion is something marvelous, but to endure the constant dropping of repeated offenses, to bear with a perpetual trying of patience, this is divine indeed. While we find comfort and peace in our Lord's daily cleansing, its legitimate influence upon us will be to increase our watchfulness and quicken our desire for holiness. A daily cleansing so that we can be empowered by the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we pray now. We have heard your word. We see the power. Help us to understand. But Lord, help us to be obedient. To serve You and to serve Your body, the church. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.